my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wealth. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at River.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. Over the last five years, the Bitcoin Conference has become the world's largest gathering of Bitcoiners. From breaking announcements and international media coverage to countless meaningful talks by thought leaders and industry innovators, we are excited to continue our drive for global hyper-Bitcoinization. From July 25th to 27th, 2024, we'll be taking the Bitcoin Conference to the city of music and freedom, Nashville, Tennessee. Join thousands of attendees for countless opportunities to learn, engage, and network across three days of pure Bitcoin signal. Get your tickets now for the best price at b.tc forward slash conference. You are not going to want to miss what Nashville has in store. How's it going, Shinobi? Doing well. What's up, Mark? Looking forward to this conversation, talking about covenants. Yep. Guess there is just the waiting. Buddy, how we doing? What's up, Chris? What's up, Shinobi? What's up, Mark? Well, I guess we're waiting for the autistic cat. Having a nice, to... nice, lovely uh, morning over here. Excited to uh, talk covenants with the homies. Very yeah, good. Mark, I think you might need to hop off because I don't know if you can hear Shinobi when he's talking. No. <laughs> you might need to just leave and come back and I'll, I'll bring you back up on stage. All right. The Avengers slowly assembling. Got two more. Yep. I'm inviting Sam, Super Testnet up here. Hopefully Mark will be back in a minute, too. What's up, y'all? Hey, Sam. Hey, Moon Siddler. Hi, Shinobi. Yo. Aloha. Hello, guys. How's it going, everyone? Mark, you're back. Hopefully uh, you can hear everyone now. Uh, I can, I think. Uh, I can hear Moon Settler. Uh, I haven't heard Shinobi yet, but uh, what's up, Super Testnet? What up, Sam? How's everybody doing? So good. Thank you for asking. Just wonderful. What a what a uh, what a group of people. This is uh, this is a spaces I've been really 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 excited about for a while, and uh, I am a bit over my head on a lot of these things. So I'm excited to uh, learn from you guys about all this stuff. So I've been following you guys for a while, and uh, I think more people should pay attention to what you guys are talking about. So <laughs> excited to have you guys. Yeah, I'm. Uh, what you want to call it, Chris? If you could invite uh, Reardon up. He, he was a maybe. I see him lurking yep. down there, though. Yep, just tossed him an invite and looking for, I think, anyone else that's coming in last minute here. All right, at this point, I think uh, we are just waiting for Polyid, who might pop in late, and uh, Robin to stop his autistic spasming in, in front of a... Shinobi, you want to take it away? Maybe we'll do some uh, brief introductions, and then we can dive into it. Yeah, I guess uh, before I go on the long-winded framing ramble, uh, everybody kind of want to 
introduce themselves, uh, tell everybody what they're working on, if they're working on anything. I guess we can start with you, Sam. Yo, hey guys. Um, I am a uh, fur researcher guy who, um, among other things, uh, was part of the kind of group of people that were thinking about how to hack a zero-knowledge prover into Bitcoin that eventually led to Robin's discovery of BitVM. Uh, in general, my day job is uh, inventing product specs for weird um, experimental type of protocols like BitVM, uh, but for shitcoin projects. But uh, at the end of the day, like all I want is to to scrape all the, the good research and, and bring it back to Bitcoin. Here, here. Mark? Oh, hi. Yeah. Hello. Uh, I do uh, writing and, uh, you know, do some editorial stuff for Bitcoin magazine. And uh, yeah, in general, um, I think my like first big break from, I would say, the echo chamber discourse of Bitcoin was watching, uh, you know, the BIP 119 stuff kind of happen and, and um, you know, being, you know, getting covenants explained to me, uh, it's seemingly like a really great idea that would be pretty much good for everybody for pretty much every reason. And then kind of seeing a lot of people push back against it um, was, you know, a big part of my kind of, you know, break of the echo chamber. And um, yeah, I, uh, I'm interested in covenants um, greatly. I think that they're very important for, you know, keeping Bitcoin basically as permissionless and, and as accessible for the next billion people as it was for us, uh, you know, people the last few years. So, um, yeah, excited to learn more about it and be here with you guys. Uh, super Tesla. Hi, guys. I am a free and open source software developer focused on uh, primarily Bitcoin, the Lightning Network, and most recently Noster. And um, some of the most of what I do is come up with cool new ideas and then proofs of concept that they are actually possible in code. And uh, so that's what I do. And Moon. Uh-oh. Do we still have you, Moon? The Moon is gone. Or the Moon has been taken from us. That's no Moon. Or is it a space station? <laughs> uh, when you are the Moon. All right. Well, while Moon diagnoses that, I guess... Uh, Someone go out frame. there and lasso the Moon for us. Sorry, uh, guys. I couldn't speak. There we go. So, hello guys, I'm Moon Settler and I shitpost on Twitter about scaling Bitcoin and privacy, covenant stuff, and blind snore and stuff like this. Alrighty. So, I guess time for the long winded framing rant from Shinobi. So, uh, covenants are the, the thing that Bitcoiners have been obsessing about for the last couple years at this point. Uh, I still feel like a lot of people are very confused when they hear that word about what that means, just because of how broad of a topic it is. So to start, I think the best place to begin would be just thinking about what is Bitcoin script right now. And it, it's essentially just a very small language where you can write programs to lock coins that exist right now so that the only way to spend those coins is fulfill the condition of that program. Like for instance, the simplest example of that is just here is a public key, provide me with a signature 
that validates against this public key. And so the, the entire purpose and point of Bitcoin script is to define what conditions you have to meet to spend coins that exist right now. So what covenants want to do is expand what script is capable of doing from just restricting coins that exist right now to restricting coins that don't exist, that are yet to be actually created on chain so that the conditions you put in a script um, for a coin that exists now actually have some degree of control to restrict coins that will be created when you spend that coin. Um, also, real quick, Robin, if you could request um, the host is having trouble you finding or finding you down in the listeners. Uh, but so like, that's the most general definition there is for a covenant. It's just some script, some primitive in Bitcoin that extends the ability to restrict coins being spent from coins that exist right now in the UTXO set to coins that haven't been created and added to the UTXO set yet. And so that is a really really open-ended and kind of vague potential like that that could be literally almost anything like that could be these coins can only be spent if the government authority lets you or these coins can only be spent for the rest of eternity once a month and any coin that descends from it is forever encumbered by those same conditions and so that's that can be a very scary thing when people just hear covenants and think the most general type of restrictions like that. But they can also be incredibly simple things. Just like this coin has to be spent to this address just once. So you just have a simple covenant that applies to one UTXO that exists right now. And all it does is for one time, it just requires that that coin be spent to a specific place. And after that, that coin can be spent wherever the owner wants to spend it after that. So you have this vast spectrum of like just super simple, not really dangerous or expansive restrictions that you can place on future coins to the open-ended, like whatever, like your head could come up with. And that is a massive design space. But at the same time, everything that we're doing in Bitcoin in terms of solving problems, like scalability, like privacy, all of the problems in making those solutions we, we're implementing work keep coming back to covenants. And so I think the whole question here is what is the bare minimum type of covenant to address problems in our scaling roadmap? And what are the implications of that? And so I guess, you know, from here, I might try to rein in the autism and ask for clarifications if you guys start going in a direction um, that might be a bit too over everybody's heads.
but I think, you know, the, to start off, like, what are you, what are your guys' thoughts? Just open question to everybody about like, how far should we try to take the capabilities of a covenant just to get the first simple covenant to try to solve the problems of stuff like lightning or systems being built right now, you know, open floor. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, OPSI TV, Check Template Verify, and one of the reasons why I like it is that there are a couple of things that I know how to build uh, once we have it. And two of them are, uh, I know that it's easy, it seems to me that it's a lot easier to build ARC if you, uh, if you have CTV, <clears throat> and similarly, it's a lot easier to build channel factories for Lightning. <clears throat> so those are two things that I'd like to really, I'd like to get started on, and um, CTV would make them easier. One of the reasons it does that is because CTV allows you to get a guarantee that if you put coins into address A, um, you'll get the same amount of coins back uh, later. Um, no, one, no one can like take them from you. And address A can be controlled by um, a lot of people. Like it can be, it can be, it can have payouts for for a number of people. It, it enables something called payment pools, where a bunch of people put money into a address A, and they know that when they're done using it, they'll get the same amount back out of address A. Um, so I really want that, and that enables a couple of cool things. So yeah, that's that's one of my, one of the things I'm a fan of. All right. So real real quick, a, a kind of a question to go with that, just for listeners, like. Why is that something that we need CTV for? Like, why couldn't we do that now just using pre-signed transactions or like the scripts that we have available right now? Well, you can do it with pre-signed transactions, but it limits the number of uh, people who can be involved and it increases the expense. So when you do pre-signed transactions, <clears throat> you either have to um, add every public key who's gonna be in control of this Bitcoin address uh, on into the into the address, and so when you want to spend it, you've got to have like 50 public keys in there. That's pretty expensive. For every public key, you need a signature. Uh, it, it adds up quickly. You you have a lot of data that you have to put on the blockchain in order to do that, increasing the expense for everyone. Uh, and the other thing you can do is you can do it off chain using uh, using Musig uh, or uh, Frost, um, but that increases the computational. Um, the, the amount of computation that you have to do, and it also increases the um, the online time of everybody. Everyone who's involved in that address has to be online at the same time. Um, well, not necessarily at the same time, but they, have, they all have to get online in order to coordinate um, what they want to do with this address. And any changes they make to it, they all have to come online to say, all right, it's time to do everyone's payouts or whatever, um, <clears throat> or to change the payout structure. That's that kind of sucks. <clears throat> and with CTV, you limit the you limit that. You you make it so that you only have a, a normal sized address, normal sized transactions, and the process for uh, modifying what it does is, is a lot simpler. Not not everyone has to be online at the same time. Um, so that that makes everything a lot easier, and uh, and it makes it scale better. It makes it so you can have thousands of people instead of just dozens. Yeah, I mean, you got something to say. Yeah, so I wanted to add that, uh, you know, with music and post and stuff like that, uh, with these uh, easy Schnorr signature aggregations, we no longer really have the problem with uh, blockchain space utilization because everything could look like a single SIG and that's pretty efficient. But the interactivity requirements are still there. And if you want to allow for a flexible fee schedule without covenants, you can't really do more than one of hope with, uh, with pre-signed transactions. After that, if the 
transaction IDs are not predictable to you, then the, the, those signatures are basically unusable. So we have this problem of uh, creating longer chains where uh, we want the ability for people to add fees according to a future you know, fee market and not have to suffer with the child pay for parent um, outputs and, and stuff like that. Basically, I want to allow that anyone who executes from a large set of people, anyone who executes that contract is actually paying the fee. If he's opting out of cooperation, then he has to bear the cost, you know, and stuff like that. So, so it, it just it just makes the whole thing more practical and and more implementable for a lot of cases. And um, like uh, you 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 can you can better do certain relative time lock situations like that again with with flexible uh, fees and and uh, not having to worry about uh, transaction ID mobility. So that's, that's kind of where I would put the, the emphasis. And I would like to say that I, I personally think the minimum set that we should be thinking about is, is check, check template uh, verify CTV plus uh, check seek from stack CSFS. So the two together uh, enables um, like very, very flexible, very clever ways to, to exit relatively with the operator from payment pools. It gives us, uh, you know, um, LN symmetry, which is also a high value use case to many people. And uh, so basically, basically it's, it's not uh, something where we would not be able to properly reason about the, the possibilities that it opens up and, and it just gives us like the, the building blocks for, you know, getting started on this path. Yeah, so just to you know, sum up for everybody listening. So CTV is essentially something that lets you make a bunch of pre-signed transactions, except once the first one confirms, the rest of them are not double spendable. So like once you start spending that chain of transactions, you have to follow through all the way to the end by consensus. And then check sig from stack is something that the when a signature gets checked um, in the Bitcoin script system right now, it only gets checked against the transaction itself. Check sig from stack would allow you to check a signature against any random piece of data. So like just part of a transaction or some arbitrary value from an Oracle and things like that. Um, and also, Robin, uh, I don't know if you missed it, but we're kind of going through like what is the bare minimum degree of covenant functionality that people think we should start with. So if you have any thoughts in that regard, uh, welcome to chime in. Um, yeah, if, if you want to go for the bare minimum, that's, I think, obviously CTV because that's what CTV is designed for, to be the bare minimum of covenants that we could have. And I guess, uh, Sam, you, you got any thoughts to chime in here? I mean, yeah, if someone is, if, if someone has an idea of how to make a more conservative covenant scheme than CTV, I'd love to see it. But uh, yeah, I think that, um, that, that maybe we should start arguing about uh, whether we necessarily need that level of, uh, of conservatism. Like how important is it 
to uh, pre absolutely prevent the kind of infinitely recursive uh, restrictions that you know we're we're worried about at the protocol level, knowing full well that those kind of restrictions uh, are and uh, can be enforced at the level of you know physical violence, etc. All right, so I guess the next one. Uh... I'll toss out again to the floor open to anybody. I think this is kind of really where a lot of users and people paying attention in the space kind of just get lost on this whole topic. But like, what are some of the problems that we face right now that are really difficult, if not impossible to solve without some form of covenant? You know, like uh, shortcomings or issues with things like Lightning or side chains or uh, systems like BitVM. Just like where where are the limits of all of those types of system and the problems they're running into that covenants would really help address where nothing else can really solve that? Yeah. Well, I, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I think that one of, if not the biggest core problem to scale that we that we need to solve right now is is uh, guaranteeing settlement of of like exit transactions, right? Because it, it's seeming that like you look at Lightning, you look at Arc, you look at BitVM, uh, you know, assuming that we're not ever going to have op zk verify on Bitcoin, that kind of restricts us to these optimistic protocols. Uh, and the way the optimistic protocol works is like you're assuming that someone is following some rules, but if they don't, then you're able to exit somehow and either, you know, do a fraud proof or just, just get out of the system in time for you to not, uh, you know, be damaged by them acting maliciously. Um, and, uh, and, and that's great. These, these systems are like absurdly efficient in basically every way. Uh, but, but the problem that this keeps running into is like, well, you you can't uh, you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to get your day in court on the L1 in time before you know the expiration window for these kind of fraud proofs expire. So one of the things, one of the big things that I think we need like something to uh, to enable. And we've argued about this before. I don't think you can do this with just getting with just clever like um, interactivity schemes. Is you just need to have some kind of way to guarantee that if you need to exit from an optimistic protocol, you need to do a fraud proof, whatever, that that's going to get settled. Whether that means, you know, a side chain or whether that means some kinds of clever, you know, like congestion control batching scheme whereby, you know, oh, I have a, a fraud proof for a very small amount. You're sending a transaction on chain anyway. You can kind of aggregate that into yours without bearing, you know, much more cost for yourself. And now I'm getting settled. I think that, that that is kind of a very big high-level problem that um, that something like Covenants is probably the only way to solve, but, you know, I could never say never. Mm, okay, Re really quick uh, before you moon settle. So uh, what, what you're saying, Sam, is like if, if multiple people have to take something like lightning closure transactions on chain, like right now there's no way to save block space by just combining those non without everybody having to be online at the same time and talk to each other. And if we had a way to combine those without everyone being online at the same time, like that would be a huge efficiency gain for second layers that have to do that. 
Yeah, it's not even efficiency. It's just like allowing them to actually be secure. Like lightning plus like, you know, stuff that looks like arc. Like you look at that, you can just see how that actually does scale to literal world scale. The only kind of fly in the ointment there is like, well, you know, what if you need to do a fraud proof for an amount that isn't worth the block space? What if, you know, there's some kind of massive uh, like attack, you know, just within the rolling window for the being able to do a fraud proof, um, you know, these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Moon? Yeah, I, I just wanted to add that I know there are tricks that you can do with Chexic from Stack, and maybe a lot of people don't even understand what's the point in, you know, signing some random data. Well, with Checkdown Verify, the obvious uh, answer is that you can actually, like, sign uh, a CTV template hash. And that means that you can sign a certain output distribution. And uh, the way I think about this is basically deferred authorization. So you are giving someone a, a deferred authorization to spend so that may or may not exist yet. So the best part of that is that you can actually give him an authorization to spend a UTXO that does not exist yet. And you don't know the transaction ID that it will have. Like this is this is the absolute best part about it. You can't do that with pre-signed transaction. Basically, it's impossible to do that. But with uh, with Chexic from Stack and CTV, you can do these uh, authorizations. By the way, hash locks are a certain type of these uh, deferred autons that that are technically like uh, non-malleable, but you cannot actually like restrict the outputs. That 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 only works on the input part. So with uh, check template verify and, and check sick from stack, you can actually give someone a deferred authorization to spend a, a future UTXO that he knows how to create in a certain way. And you can keep giving him these authorizations and let him take the one that is the most, you know, the most uh, beneficial to him. So basically this is the basis of non-interactive channels. You can create lightning channels and you can, can show to someone that there is nothing up your sleeve and you are giving him this, this uh, authorization and he will be able to, to spend it. And, and you can keep giving him like better versions of it. And he can have like a, a, a single SIG on, on, on that. So in case you have uh, like a covenant pool operator and you have a lot of co participants in the covenant pool and some of them are not responsive, then you can, without taking these virtual UTXOs on chain, you can basically just start giving the pool operator these deferred authorizations. And in return, he can basically, um, I don't know how to say it. He can basically help you get out, uh, help you spend without the cooperation of the others. You create an all-interactive channel with him <clears throat> and you are able to spend over the Lightning Network and others may come online later and maybe they update the state or, or, or maybe they just, uh, you know, everyone exits on their own and, and the new pool is created. So it gives a lot more flexibility and a lot more viability to, to Covenant pool designs that are not... Uh, that don't have this compromise that ARC choose to have with the time lock sweep. So with the time lock sweep, we know that technically, as was said before, if, if people cannot enforce their property rights on chain for whatever reason, then the pool operator is, is, is able to basically steal from people. And um, that's kind of the 
the main downside of the design, but also what makes it, uh, you know, sort of work from the ASP's perspective, because he knows he will get his liquidity back in, in a certain time frame. And, uh, and basically, this is the compromise that you don't necessarily have to make if you have CheckSig from Stack. And you can do these deferred authorizations for specific settlements, because then, then you can, you can, like I said, create lightning channels that never existed because once you spend them, you can just give the give your private key to the pool operator, basically give up your private key and he can compact the, the uh, settlement chain at a higher level, even, even maybe back to the root if everyone just exits the pool one by one, uh, unilaterally, they, they, I mean, with the help of the operator, they, they just exit then basically the pool operator will have all the private keys for the large N of N music, for example, uh, the key pot on the taproot uh, you know, output. And then he can just take the whole thing very, very, very efficiently. So this, this whole idea that a CTV settlement tree has to be unfolded on chain, it just goes away. And I think that's a very powerful thing and we should definitely you know, consider that and, and talk about that because um, I don't think the downsides that are imagined uh, justify, you know, uh, being overly careful around uh, checksick from stack. Okay, so I'm try my best to succinctly put that. So the the one of the problems, at least, uh, is something like a, a lightning channel, like you are just spending as you unfurl things like previous transactions. And so with SegWit, like the transaction malleability um, is not a problem in the sense that somebody else can just see your transaction and change it and then break future transaction spending from that. But the participants still can. Like if, if somebody involved in the channel adds a new input to pay fees because the fees were too low and it's not confirming, that changes the transaction ID, which breaks anything spending from it in future. So it's really difficult to have more than one or two hops involved there. Um, the, the other issue you kind of went into is the cost of actually taking that data and unfurling it on chain. And kind of the solution that you were getting at is where you can apply a signature to any arbitrary data, um, that allows you to change the spending conditions of a coin without actually spending that coin. So if there is a UTXO, I can make a script that just says, use check sig from stack and check against this key. And then I can actually just add any script to that later after the fact. And as long as I sign that script with that key, what somebody can do is then put the script with the signature on it on the stack. It will verify against the public key that's actually in the UTXO script. And then this whole new script that was never part of that UTXO, that gets checked. And as long as that pass is valid, you, you can just keep adding new ways to spend a coin without ever actually moving that coin. And so that adds a lot of flexibility to what you can do off chain. Did I get that right? 
Yes, although in my example and with CTV, I don't think you can just only add like new distributions. So you can keep updating the distributions. Someone can imagine that if Lightning Channel can only go from, from Alice to Bob and never backwards, <clears throat> then Alice can just give updated signatures to Bob with new and new templates for check templify that, that changes the distribution between them towards Bob. And Bob has to do nothing else but uh, sign a transaction that, that spends this with the one that is most beneficial to him. So Alice does not really have a way to screw Bob over in, in this setup. And Bob has no way to steal from Alice any amount that she did not forfeit to him. So the whole thing is, 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 is perfectly fair and secure. And basically, Bob only has one risk that maybe he loses the best state that he had. But that is a technical problem that is, you know, solvable. And, and it's not, not something that Lightning does not suffer from and, and, and whatnot. So this is what's called a, a non-interactive channel. And the best way is that Alice can open this non-interactive channel without even cooperating with Bob. So she can just open it and, and show everything to Bob and Bob can verify that this is indeed a proper non-interactive channel. And this can happen like in a way where this channel is created at the end of a long tail of CTV transactions. And, and uh, so that, that's kind of the way to think about in, in this regard that it just gives you a delayed authorization, a deferred authorization to, to spend otherwise. And that opens up a lot of possibilities on how to, how to proceed or how to compose these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess Robin or Super, uh, do, do you, either of you have any like concrete problem or limitation with something existing now that would be solved with covenants? Um, yeah, if I should speak for BitVM, um, like there is that setup phase where you have to set up the transactions that you can execute in case um, there is fraud. And uh, yeah, or like the transactions that you can execute as, as uh, to perform the fraud proof. And um, currently you have to set them up interactively. And in particular in that multi-verifier setting where you have like a single prover facilitating a bridge, for example, and lots of verifiers verifying them. Um, in that setting, every verifier has to verify the setup of every other verifier. And of course that scales poorly. And if we had covenants, if we had CTV, for example, um, the, the prover could set it up and it could set it up for everyone um, non-interactively. And um, okay, I, I'm confusing myself here. Um, they still everybody has to verify the setup of everybody else, but they don't have to co-sign the setup of everybody else. Um, without covenants, you you have to co-sign, you have to pre-sign the the sequence of transactions. And um, in the multi-verifier setting, every verifier has to co-sign <clears throat> the pre-signed transactions of every other verifier, and that scales very poorly. Um, they still have to verify the setup of each uh, of all other verifiers, but um, yeah, the, you can essentially compress all of that into a ZKP, and then um, it becomes no problem to verify the setup of the other verifiers. So um, the, the 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 essential part that you uh, can get rid of is the pre-signing, and um, I think there are many protocols where you have like. Um, 
yeah, lots of things that could happen and you have to pre-sign them all. And um, if you had some kind of covenants, then yeah, you could get rid of this pre-signing and just replace it with um, some, yeah, some template. All right. And, so um, VM, it, real quick, no, no, is, is far just, beyond the scope of this. So there, yeah. there's an article on Bitcoin Magazine to read about that. But the gist of what you're saying is in context, BitVM requires like potentially millions or billions of, of pre-signed transactions to be made. And so what yeah, you can do is cut out like the back and forth part of that. Like you still have to make them, but instead of each step involving going back and forth between everyone involved, like somebody can just make them all at once send them all at once and the other people can verify them all at once instead of all the back and forth between everybody yeah exactly and that is very similar to the problem that they have at arc like in arc you also have that problem that yeah you have that non-cooperative case and in that non-cooperative case you, you have these exit trees and um yeah people have to pre-sign them all together for these exit trees to be trustless and um, yeah, you can get rid of that with um, CTV. And I wanted to say that I think in general, of all the proposals that are currently uh, discussed, I would say CTV is the most simple proposal that enables the most powerful things next to OPCAT, of course, but- uh, Yes, OPCAT, OPCAT definitely takes that. <laughs> but like of the, of, the, of the proposals where everybody is like, yeah, this, this is very simple, and that has no side effects at all. That's yeah. You you have to you have to say that it is also the the least risky, right? So if you say oh you lost, Robin. So if 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 you say that the CTV is basically the best risk benefit uh, move that we can make at this point in Bitcoin's history, then I don't think anyone is able to argue with that on a technical level. And uh, when we are talking about the simplest, the most powerful, then to my knowledge, that is OPCAT because it's like 10 lines of code and it enables like almost everything. Well, I guess, uh, Super, did do you have any like specific problems in mind we haven't gone over already that would be drastically easier to solve if we had some form of covenant? Yeah, um, Lightning, Lightning, the Lightning Network could benefit from covenants as well. One of the things that you have to do in the Lightning Network is save a lot of state, uh, which is uh, which has to do with the fact that you're in a relationship with someone on the Lightning Network. You, you always have a channel partner, someone who you opened a channel to or who opened a channel to you. And every time you make a payment on Lightning, um, you're creating a new Bitcoin transaction and you're revealing, you're typically revealing something called a revocation key for the previous state. Uh, so every time you make one of these uh, Lightning payments, you have to store uh, the old, uh, every old transaction, every old state in your in your um, channel, as well as the revocation key given by your counterparty or that you gave, and that's a lot of data to store. It, it, especially for routing nodes, it really adds up. Sometimes they have, you know, gigabytes of of data um, that they have to store. But if we had covenants, we could make it a constant size. We could make it like you know, you only have to store one megabyte of data, and uh, and then ever like it increases after that. So that's another area where I, where I think that um, you could make it a lot less intrusive or, or less difficult to run a lightning node. Um, you could make the software a lot simpler and the database a lot smaller if we had covenants.
I, I think I think that's an interesting an interesting point to kind of discuss, like the difference of, you know, I would say, you know, it's it's a it's a basically a fact that there's more funding and broad support for you know development and advancement with Lightning and you know even I guess at this point even like tokens on Bitcoin, but like not necessarily for covenant support. Um, that's that's not as much of a of a um, you know mass um, saturated thought. So. I'm kind of curious to you guys, like what, what is kind of missing, you know, based on these, you know, kind of solutions that covenants can provide to these issues you guys just brought up, especially with some of them like lightning being, you know, having a big uh, application to, you know, presumably the next billion users, you know, what, what is the missing kind of element of, of education and the communications that we can give to the masses, like for why this is important and why they should care. Um, and, and be supportive of, you know, whatever their iteration of covenant that, 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 that they want. Like what, what is kind of missing um, to get that sort of mass acceptance? Yeah, one thing that is worth noting is that the Lightning Network works. Like uh, even without a lens symmetry, it, it just works. And with splicing, taproot channels and splicing, you're going to get a free pruning of your channel state anyhow. So I don't think professional nodes will have any problem with this whatsoever. So the main benefit to LN symmetry is as uh, Super said, it is going to possibly make the Lightning developers job a lot easier. They can make simpler and more robust uh, nodes. So that's like the main benefit. Direct benefit to the users is going to be basically non-existent as far as I can tell. So LN symmetry does not actually deliver anything to the billions directly. What actually is something that covenants can help us with is that the Lightning Network is severely limited in the number of participants um, with you know, the L1 throughput, the block space that is available for us. And, and that, is, that is the big you know, point where, where all these covenant pools and channel factories and <clears throat> I'm not even sure why we are calling them in different names because it pretty much looks like that any channel factory will be somewhat of a covenant pool and every, any, every covenant pool will be like a, a, a channel factory on demand or, or opportunistically or whatever. So I, I kind of think the two concepts are, are going to like converge into a hybrid uh, thing and, and that is like where we see a very clear need of covenants for, for, for that to work. Okay, so so what you, you're saying is like just, we, we, we kind of need to stay ahead of like keeping the limitations of lightning in mind so that like the, the small changes and optimizations we can make right now without like forking or adding anything to Bitcoin that just give us a little more breathing room don't come across like they're fundamentally solving the issue to the same degree. Yes, and 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 uh, like th th there is another point that you could make about all this. I guess is that um, you know the pay pollution and and SMTPification of the Lightning Network is something that we are seeing in real time happening, and that's not the not the vision that. Originally, really, originally, really quick, can can you just like explain what that means for people who maybe don't know the history of both of those protocols? Yeah, so so 
Lightning was uh, envisioned like that anyone can run a server and, and, and connect to this network and it will be a lot more mesh-like and, and less giant providers like, like uh, you know, Strike, PayPal, Google, whatever. So these giant providers operating with each other in, in a, a more closed, more permission network, how the SMTP protocol turned out. And basically turned the whole thing into a hub and spoke model where you are completely exposed to your hub. You have no privacy uh, against your hub because they see everything. They report to chain on all anything that you do anyhow and to each other. And and basically we can we can get into this uh, this state with the Lightning Network. There is a very very strong natural tendency for for centralization for for you know the optim optimization of this whole thing. And uh, so. That is kind of where, where I see like a big danger because we know that especially custodial lightning in this centralized form will scale to billions. But uh, that, that is not the network that one can say it's a peer-to-peer -peer network or anything. So that's why I say the PayPalification and SMTPification because the SMTP protocol you know, started out uh, a lot more peer-to-peer but eventually with the spam and these giant providers, you know, uh, trying to combat it, it, it became something where you can't really have your own SMTP server anymore and, and have people be able to send you emails or, or you be able to send anyone emails. You, you know, you have to have an account with, with one of the large providers and it has become very permission and you are very easily denied access to this uh, to this uh, protocol, so to speak, in practice, even though in theory anyone could run the software, right? But it just doesn't doesn't actually work. You won't be able to send an email to someone else like that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you know, I, I guess I'm gonna take the spotlight for a second and jump in with a, a big problem I see because I think it relates to that pretty well. Um, you know, the the more we look at Lightning as it is now, like Moon said, it keeps gravitating towards big central nodes like a lightning service provider. And honestly, a lot of the most practical um, basic types of coin pools or channel factories that there are very concrete designs for that we could do if we had covenants actually kind of lean into that dependence on something like an LSP. Like they're explicitly designed around counting on that. And I think one of the big problems that, that has caused that is the problem of how do you exit from something like a, an off-chain channel that has more than two people involved. Because the general way that's done is just a long series of transactions where one UTXO breaks into two and each of those break into two, and each of those break into two, until eventually the UTXOs on chain are actually somebody's lightning channels. And you have to go through all of those steps in between to get to somebody's lightning channel going on. Well, like there are covenant proposals like Tap, uh, Tapweave Update Verify, TLove, um, building on top of Taproot, that offer a more efficient way to do that where you actually have in like the tap leave script, some script that enforces 
that in one transaction, even if there's a hundred people or a thousand people in, in this UTXO, one transaction enforces that you are allowed to take whatever money you own in the current state and spend it wherever you want. Everybody else's money has to go back into a specific output with a specific script, which is that like taproot multi-sig with everybody involved minus just your key. And it actually enforces all of that. It actually checks the tap leaf. It looks at the amounts in there. It makes sure the right amount goes back to the script with everybody else's money. And it actually verifies that the public key for that output is the pre-existing like taproot multi-sig just minus the key of the guy who left. And so it can take that whole chain of, of a shit ton of transactions that has to unfurl on chain and turns it into just one transaction. And that capability is exactly what we need to build multi-party channels like that that don't require being built around like some service provider. And like those designs, they're, they're not trusted. You still can enforce things without that provider cooperating, but the whole design is still built around them. Whereas if we had a covenant that would just let anybody in a single transaction pull their money out and leave everyone else to do whatever they want, or the opposite, allowed everybody to kick out the one guy who won't get online to sign stuff in one transaction and everyone else goes on with their day. And like that type of functionality is something necessary to do things like coin pools or channel factories in a way that doesn't revolve around some like service provider that is necessary to make it all work. I think it's 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 uh, worth mentioning that everyone that dug into this uh, problem space knows that the the denial of service uh, potential for for any any multi pool is going to go very hard up with the number of participants and not necessarily intentional. So like like the sheer possibility for an error or someone to, to, to suffer a node error is just going to go up hard uh, after a certain point. So basically kicking someone out without stealing their money, so enforcing their property right, just putting them out of the, of the pool is, is, is something pretty fundamental that should be thought about. And ARC is actually sidestepping this whole issue. So with there, if, if you like experience a node or wallet failure, then the mean, uh, the ARC service provider will simply sweep your virtual utility. And that's basically is going to turn them into IOUs. So either he honors your claim, then you can, can you know, show your keys improve your keys uh, to those virtual UTXs. He will either honor them or not. That, that's up to him at that point if, if they are swept. Um, so, so yes, this, this is a very big problem. And, and the other issue is that when you just imagine this scaled up to like billions of people, let's not say 8 billion people, because 
I think it would be more than enough if every household had an node or something like that. So we shouldn't go beyond like three billion or something like that uh, in in our imaginings. So if you imagine that uh, like three billion nodes are trying to do these uh, these cooperative pools, uh, the mod still does not work out for even very optimistic on-chain settlement. If if these uh, these uh, unilateral exits like keep happening. I just wanted to know that, so I, I don't think that schemes that are trying to enforce cooperation, like they, they are forcing people to cooperate, uh, are not necessarily garbage. I think they should be explored because uh, that, that kind of has this benefit that if people are, are, are kind of forced to cooperate, then, then they will, uh, you know, they will find a way to make it more efficient, because it's actually in everyone's interest to, to have a more efficient settlement. So long nobody can steal from the other. You know, that's just my thought on this. Mm -hmm. uh, Sam, it looked like uh, you had something to say. Yeah, well, this is, we've talked about this before, but this is the reason why I love ARC, is um, it it doesn't have the, uh, the, the data availability problems that basically all other forms of like UTXO multi-sig aggregation schemes have, which is like, they're always some version of, Hey guys, I'm going to aggregate all of your UTXOs into some Merkle, something that looks like a Merkle tree uh, on chain. I'm going to publish the root, but um, what if you give me your, your UTXO and I don't give you your inclusion proof from your TXO to the root. I can't steal your coins, but I've kind of burned them if I don't give that to you. And I can certainly hold them hostage for like, you know, some, you know, like 30% of their value or, or something like that, unless you get really clever. And the ways in which you can get really clever are you can have uh, like massive interaction schemes that scale extremely poorly, uh, like N squared in the number of participants. Or you can have something like a side chain where, uh, you know, you're posting your UTXOs on the side chain and they're Merkleized up to the root that goes on the L1 kind of from that side chain. And so everyone can compute their own inclusion proof from the data available on that side chain. This is kind of the main reason why I've slowly become a side chain apologist is I don't see a better solution to that particular problem than this. But the thing that kind of gives me pause as to whether that's 100% necessary is ARC the way that ARC works, it sidesteps that because of what you just said, Moon, that um, the uh, the way the interaction there works, it's it's like eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And rather than the mo landing on the, like, the authority and like now they're the one that gets to go to chain, the mo ends in the user. And it's like the, the thing goes through atomic with the user's final action, not with the... Uh, the service provider. And so you don't have this kind of, uh, you know, okay, you're, you're the final executor. Now, please give me my witness because you're the one that's kind of generating that with that quote unquote witness yourself. So um, yeah, if, if we can figure out a way of kind of having our cake and eating it too, in that regard, uh, even with things like, like T love, I think still requires solving this problem. Um, that would be cool. And I guess, uh, well, sorry, uh, but uh, welcome, Trevor. Uh, might be a little out of step, 
Uh, but I guess just to try and catch you up real quick, uh, we kind of, for the first bit, just went through the nature of covenants and the difference between restricting the spending conditions of future coins versus ones that exist. And we've kind of just been going through like specific scalability problems with things like lightning or side chains and other layers that covenants would help. So um I don't know if you, if you have any thoughts on that matter. And I guess if we've gone through it, I'll let you know. Yeah, no, I, I definitely have some thoughts on it. I mean, I think, um, I think that covenants um, to me seem like a type of um, uh, protocol change that is one that if you don't use it, it, it won't really affect you. I think, um, you know, i we always struggle with like these changes to Bitcoin because as opposed to like normal software development, like once you introduce a feature, like you can't really take it out, right? Like the majority of the software development world, you know, use has many best practices for A-B testing and feature flags and different things to like implement a new feature and test it out on a, on a certain percentage of the population, figure out if it's valuable and then, um, and then implement it, right? Or then roll it out. We can't, we obviously, we can't really do that with Bitcoin. Um, and so, it makes development uh, much harder. And, you know, this is why, um, you know, we have to be careful, of course, because we don't want to introduce bloat to the protocol. We don't want to um, mess up anyone's funds. And Bitcoin's core value proposition is it's um, that it changes very slowly and it's a, it's a safe haven as opposed to the kind of wild west of other uh, blockchain. And I think that, um, you know, covenants to me, seem like the time is really right for them. I think that people have kind of come around to it more and it's really a question of various implementations and, and where to start because, you know, covenants are essentially more of a category than a specific uh, feature. Um, I love what, uh, of course, like Robin is doing with, with BitVM. And I think that, um, you know, introduces a lot of alternative ways to implement potential um, covenants that might also you know, dep depending on uh, Robin's development and his team's progress, like can help show if there's value, you know, like if there's a certain covenant that we want, you know, the ideal way would be to sort of follow the path of like what ordinals did if it's feasible, which is like to uh, implement it in an, an alternative way that can show what the adoption is. Um, you know, so for, for covenants though, I think it's also a change as opposed to like, you know, to drive chains, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of part of the discussion is like, well, if you don't use it, then, you know, it's not going to uh, affect you kind of a thing. And I don't know that it's the case with, with drive chains, but it seems to be the case with, with CTV. And, you know, I think that this, this, this larger discussion about, um, you know, classification and categorization of potential changes and, and uh, whether or not they, uh, introduce or they will affect users who don't use it and what the implications of that are going to be is part of the the real crux of where the discussion should be is you know uh if some if uh you know how much bloat does it cause you know uh could could there be a scenario where there is a uh trial period for something where it's like you give it a year and if uh it doesn't reach a certain threshold you you roll it back and it's just agreed upon by the community in advance um you know, we're, we're definitely entering a period where I think um, in the next cycle, Bitcoin is going to grow even larger. There's going to be even more demand for users. We see the uh, 
you know, inflation uh, and what's happening with the interest rates and, and in the Middle East is causing Bitcoin to break away from the, uh, you know, being traded like a, a high beta of a tech stock and sort of going the opposite way of the market and maybe a new narrative forming. And that could lead to significantly more users coming on. And so we definitely have to step up our game in terms of the, the nuance and, and how we execute in introducing these features, which we may need, you know, to add ZK rollups in the future or to add other scalability solutions. I think we need to try uh, as many things as possible um, with while being conservative and not messing up what we have today. Uh, Moon, you got something to say? Yeah. Yeah, just quickly, I wanted to say that uh, it is always worth, you know, examining these claims that only the people who opt in to use them will be affected. And it is there is no way for others to be negatively affected. So obviously, in the end, after after like the, the, the basic, uh, you know, the, the rudimentary, like, uh, how do you say this, like uh, due diligence is done by the developer committee, it is actually on the, the detractors, the opponents of a software to, to prove that it can, you know, harm uh, the network and, and users who did not opt in. But for example, uh, recently there has been talks about reactivating CAT of CAT. And uh, we know it is relatively harmless in the sense of resource consumption because stack items are limited in 520 bytes, if I remember correctly. And uh, people realize that this also limits what OpCat can be used for in terms of you know, funny, uh, fun developer things. And so a proposal was made that you should actually multiply that uh, 520 times with the maximum number of stack items. So the, the total amount of, uh, of stack memory that you can use with OpCat would still be limited, but you could actually, you know, create like a, a 520 kilobyte uh, uh, size strings at maximum. And the problem with that is it, it actually, actually, with OpCat, you can very quickly reach that size. And it, it opens up a quadratic hashing attack. I'm not sure if my calculations are completely correct, but I got something like it would take 11 hours for a Raspberry Pi 4 to, to verify a block specifically you know, constructed to, to deny service <laughs> to the Bitcoin network. So we have to be kind of, you know, uh, vigilant about this and, and, and think these things through. I'm not trying to fight covenants. I think covenants are, are, are super important and, and the natural next step for this. But uh, obviously we cannot like get carried away and claim that, that nobody will be harmed by anything unless they use it. We have to actually examine these claims with each and every proposal. And, and sadly, the way things are in Bitcoin script, you actually kind of have to take into account uh, how multiple, of course, multiple proposals interact with each other. I think uh, Shinobi likes to rant about this uh, a lot, that, that it's not enough to just look at something in isolation. For example, OpCat can do a lot of very fun and interesting things. For example, you can actually... It looks like you can implement uh, finite state machines in Bitcoin script that can change state and, and stick to a contract or program if you wish. 
with these states and, and one transaction at a time, you can update the state and, and you can do this. Um, but for example, with Taproot, you can't really do that because you would need uh, Optivic Verify uh, known from liquid, uh, liquid um, uh, elements uh, script. Uh, you would need Optic Verify to actually, you know, verify that uh, that assembled tab script, tab script uh, output uh, address, so to speak. And uh, so Opcat uh, with with Taproot would not really uh, work in this way. But uh, you know, so so stuff like this. Uh, I think uh, we need to like spend a lot of time collectively on, on exploring these limitations and possibilities and not be too fearful, but, but always have in our mind that how could this be used as a denial of service attack on people who do not use it? Because that's like the first thing that you have to ensure that it cannot. Like that's the absolute basic. Your proposal cannot, cannot go through if you cannot, uh, you know, uh, like reassure everyone that, that it is reasonably safe. And uh, CTV has been around the block for years and, and a lot of very smart people have looked at it for a very long time. And, and so far, I'm not aware of anyone being able to find anything, uh, any such thing. If anything, if CTV was heavily used, it would actually speed up um, block validation significantly because it's a much cheaper operation than uh, like a signature check. So pre-signed transactions are actually actually much more computational heavy and, and uh, take up more space on the block, blockchain as well. So that's one thing. Uh, mm -hmm. All right, uh, just, just real quick, I wanted to let everyone know we're gonna have to wind up in eight minutes, but also real quick, Robin, uh, I saw Super tried to get a word in. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to add that, um... Of course, uh, Shinobi is not that big of a fan of sidechains, but I'm a big fan of sidechains. And um, in general, to have a trusted sidechain, you need two things. You need a consensus mechanism and you need some kind of bridge. And for the consensus mechanism part, um, CTV also helps us because um, uh, CTV enables, um, yeah, essentially... Space chains? Stake chains. Stake chains Space chains. Space chains as well, but, but I'm talking about stake chains, and I think they are superior because, um, yeah, they enable a Bitcoin-backed proof-of-stake. So you can have a proof-of-stake algorithm, and essentially you get the best of both worlds because you get the proof-of-work security because you get Bitcoins that are anchored into Bitcoin's proof-of-work, but you can stake them in such a way that, um, yeah, you get the benefits of proof-of-stake, which is essentially, uh, yeah, instant finality. Because once the stakers have signed, once the majority of the stakers have signed, you cannot change their voting without um, them yeah, revealing their keys and getting slashed for it. So if you try to 51%, your ASICs explode. It's the only way in which proof of stake is superior. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. that is a, I mean, not, not the only way, but yes. All right, re 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 real quick though, guys. Uh, because there is no social consensus or something, because it's, it's really about um, yeah, uh, reusing. You, you, you're using pre-commit announces, and um, you can sign block five only with your nonce five. And if you ever sign two conflicting block fives, then you have to reuse your nonce five. And if you reuse your nonce five, you will leak your key immediately, and then you get slashed. 
And long story short, um, that is a very interesting sidechain consensus mechanism that is that has all kinds of nice properties. Uh, it is way more on-chain efficient. It is way faster. Like you can have way faster block times. You have way faster finality, and um, yeah, you have all kinds of nice features. And I think um, that's a cool thing about CTV that it enables um, such a powerful sidechain consensus mechanism. Mm -hmm. But uh, super, uh, you, you were trying to say something a bit ago though. Uh, I'd just like to mention that um, one difference between space chains and stake chains is that space chains work right now, and they work very well, whereas stake chains don't. So, so I think that's an advantage that is uh, worth a uh, million dollars. So there you go. Stake chains work as well. Like You just have to emulate CTV. Like um, you, you have to pre-sign the burning contract, and yeah, you can emulate CTV by uh, yeah, using an N of N music and uh, you can make everybody participate in that N of N music by uh, yeah, inscribing the, the, the protocol into the chain such that everybody can participate or like sign up for it to participate. And then when they refuse to sign, they get removed, removed from the cosigner set. And at some point you will end up with a valid signature. And then this is the signature that allows you uh, to emulate CTV and then it would work. Like then you can run stake chains without CTV. All right. Sounds like a on lot. That, on, on that uh, proclamation from the wise wizards of Bitcoin, <laughs> um, we're five minutes from the, the end time. I guess uh, everybody want to go through like any last comments they have on covenants. I guess we can start with you, Moon, and go reverse order. All right. So the reason I, I changed my name to Cat Moxie is because I'm, I'm kind of personally a bit fed up with the current culture that developed on Bitcoin. And, and everyone is trying to tell everyone else what they can, can do on, on Bitcoin. And it's kind of like me acting out like a teenager, you know, and, and saying that, uh, <clears throat> you know, fuck that. Let, let's enable everything and then only talk about what use cases are actually valuable enough to make them more efficient because doing it with Opcat is going to be like uh, messy and limited and, and inefficient for a lot of things. But as soon as like the possibility of, of uh, like... Uh, not having people not having a say in, in what goes and what not goes and also like opcat was was a part of bitcoin i i, I would like to you know move us uh, like, like to see us move past this this phase of of what we want and what not want and and just just uh, go into the what we should make more efficient and what is really valuable to bitcoin phase um just let's let's do it i think um I, I want to build this. I want to build a meme that is currently not true, but maybe someday will be. Um, everyone agrees that we need CTV. The only question is what comes with it. Um, do we bring it, bring along with it, Sighash uh, 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 any out, or do we bring along with it from stack or what? But everyone agrees, or not currently, but pretty, if we say this enough, maybe it'll happen. Everyone agrees CTV is the minimum, and then after that, you know, who knows? So let's let's start there. Uh, yeah, I, I, I generally agree with Super right there. I, I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see uh, where kind of public support falls, um, you know, amongst these different iterations. Um, and, 
you know, how we balance that with things like simplicity and some other things. So, um, yeah, I'm just very curious to see how it develops. Um, I do think we could benefit greatly from them. I think they were, will really benefit, uh, you know, Bitcoin users uh, in the future. And uh, I think it is sort of a duty uh, of the current Bitcoin uh, users to, uh, you know, re- keep it as trustless um, and as accessible uh, as it was when we found it. So um, I'm interested in seeing what happens. And um, yeah, appreciate all you guys uh, coming here and teaching. And uh, speedy trial now, I guess, right? Robin, you're up. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with with what uh, Moonsettler said. Um, I think uh, OpCat is by far the best covenant proposal, even though it's uh, kind of inefficient. I think it's the most flexible um, opcode that is currently in discussion and uh, yeah, it would enable all kinds of great things and it would allow us to scale Bitcoin to you know, global scale to billions of users, I think. And uh, that's why I think OpCat is the right proposal. And from there, we can see what, what's worth optimizing. Sam, shower us with autism. In order of preference, CAT, CTV, APO, CSFS. I would be happy enough with all four of them, but if I had to pick just one gun to the head, it's got to be CAT. Yeah, I agree fully with what Sam just said. Uh, yes, uh, Trevor, uh, you got any last thoughts for us? Yeah, I mean, I think the the panels here are, are more expert than me on the the, um, the specific alternatives here, and it's it's you know great to be on the stage. Thank you for having me. I think that um, you know taking a more broader look, like we're in a very uncharted domain for software development when it comes to how Bitcoin works. Most of the software best practices used are you know come from Silicon Valley, come from Web two, and I'm just wondering if there's you know uh, lessons we can learn maybe from other industries where they need to adapt and move quickly, but if they move too fast, there could be catastrophic consequences. You know, industries like the pharmaceutical industry, aerospace, et cetera, things that we can kind of adapt the software development model to more closely match the environment that we're in. And I think that um, a lot of the things that um, prevent what we need from happening just come from the, the lacking the right tools for, um, for deciding how to proceed here. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, Shinobi, is there anything else you want to add or should we just wrap up here? Uh, I think hopefully this was what people needed to hear. Just uh, thanks, everybody uh, who came and participated for coming and give us your time. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, really appreciate all the speakers up on stage and everyone that came to listen in. Uh, Can I hopefully... one more thing, please? Yeah, sure. Um, we are inscribing now the first uh, Blake 3 hash function call into Bitcoin script. We implemented Blake 3 and it will uh, execute right now. Like we will add it to the mempool within the next few seconds. And then we, uh, yeah, we proved that <laughs> Bitcoin script is capable of much more than people thought. Bow chicka bow bow. <laughs> Wizard shit. Wizard shit, really, uh, for those who don't get it. All right. Thanks so much, everyone. Uh, We'll catch you next week. Thank you for tuning in. And I want to say thank you to all the speakers and everyone that uh, joined us today. Uh, Have a good one, everyone. Peace. Take it easy. Toodles. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. 
We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee, a city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. 